Okay, well, my topic, my title isn't the funnest title, but we'll get there. <laughs> I want to talk about sin today. Um, there's all kinds of different ideas about sin. Even saying the word sin, I don't know what emotion comes up in your heart. And it really kind of depends what your upbringing was and what kind of culture you grew up in. So it could stir up shame. It could stir up condemnation. Um, isn't it funny how a certain word can, can do something? Yeah. If you're in a healthy church, it can, you can just feel overwhelming thankfulness to the Lord because you know that it has no hold on you anymore. So we're going to talk about sin this morning. And I'm going to go right to 1 John. And we're going to start with 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm going to lead, read a lot of scripture this morning because that's what I like to do. Um, John is, um, was one of the disciples. And remember, John was the one that labeled himself pretty much I'm God's favorite. I'm, I'm loved by God was his name. He would, when Jesus said, somebody's about to betray me, that's when, like, all the other disciples are like, who, who, who? John was the one that got real close to Jesus, put his head on his, you know, chest, and he's like, who is it? He, he was so confident it couldn't be him. Such a confidence because he was, he knew God's love. It, it, God's love so radiated from him. So he wrote this book, and so this is, um, this is from John, and I'm going to start with verse 1 because it's, it talks about first John's experience. Before John even gives a word to the church, he's saying, hey, I've encountered God. I walked with God, and this is what he's told me to tell you. So I'm going to read out the Passion Translation, mostly because I forgot my, Bible, my other Bible at home. <laughs> but this one's good. Okay, verse 1. We saw him with our own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him. The one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God. This life giver was made visible and we've seen him. We testify to the truth, the eternal life giver. We live face to face with the Father and now has dawned upon us. We proclaim to you what we've seen, what we've heard about this life giver, so that we may share and enjoy life together. For truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus, the Anointed One. And we're writing these things to you because we want to release to you our fullness of joy. So John's saying, hey, he's real. I lived with him. I've touched him. I've seen him. I've experienced him. And now I'm going to tell you something that he's told us. What he's taught us, I'm going to give to you because this releases so much joy to tell you this. Verse 5, it says, The life-giving message we heard him share, and it's still ringing in our ears. And now we repeat his words to you. God is pure light. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him. And if we claim that we share life with him, but keep walking in the realm of darkness, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we keep living in the pure light that surrounds him, we share unbroken fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, but if we boast that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're strangers to the truth. But if we freely admit our sins, when, say when, when. his light uncovers them, 
He will be faithful to forgive us every time. God is just to forgive our sins because of Jesus. Say, because of Jesus. And he will continue to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim we're not guilty of sin, when God uncovers them with his light, we're making him a liar and the word is not in us. You, I'm going to go to chapter two. You, dear brother, dear children, I write these things to you so you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we continually have a forgiving redeemer who's face to face with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Here's how we can be sure we've truly come to know God. How do we know? If we keep his commandments, if anyone claims, I have come to know God by experience, yet doesn't keep God's commandments, he's a phony, and the truth has no place in him, finds no place in him. But the love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys God's word. We can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God, not just by saying I am intimate with God, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. So is sin a problem? Is sin a problem? Sin is never a problem until we say sin is not a problem. (laughs) Sin is not a problem if we're not honest about sin. If we're not honest about sin, that's when sin becomes a problem. Jesus took care of the sin problem. It's when we stop calling sin, sin. The world is fiercely trying to normalize sin in our culture. They're calling good evil and evil good. And they are infiltrating our education system teaching our kids at a young age you know that the bible and prayer used to be in school in 1963 they took the bible and prayer out of school and the sin the immorality the the um uh burst out of wedlock violence crime just accelerated like 500 percent divorce rate i mean sin because the word of god is truth It's truth. And if we try to live any other way, it is so unhealthy for us and for a society. Now, we can't put expectation on the world to live up to the word of God and to know the word of God. But the problem is, it's coming into the church and the church is getting confused and starting to call sin normal. And it's okay and it's not a problem. And that's when sin becomes a problem. Because when we start calling sin okay, we're saying we have no need for a savior. We have no need for grace. We have no need for Jesus. Jesus plus sin is no problem. Justifying sin is serious problems. The only person that can justify our sin is Jesus Christ. And he will do it. But when we start justifying our own sin, we push Jesus aside. We push grace aside and the Savior aside and say, we don't need him. We're okay. 
normalizing sin. If you do something long enough, it will become normal to you. You do something long enough, it will be normal to you. Um, this, this summer, I really studied um, the Holocaust with my kids. I might have shared this, but, you know, the Nazis, they didn't just come out and say, you know, Jews are horrible. They started, like, normalizing it in culture slowly, 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 slowly. And it was in the education system. Little kids in their math book, it would say, you know, three Jewish kids are running down the street. But one German kid shot one in the head. How many are left? They started, they started this language, educating kids. So when they grew up, it was so normal to kill Jews. Murder became normal. This is what's happening in society. And the church is trying to fall right into that. Instead of the church saying, no, this is the word of God. This is what God says. And we become brighter and lighter to a hurting world. Here's the thing about sin. It hurts. Sin always embarrasses. It always hurts. It opens the door for the enemy. And it keeps us in bondage. When we say sin is okay, we are saying like, Stay in your bondage. Let the enemy bully you. Stay in shame. And it's not loving. And it's not helping society. And it's not grace. <laughs> it's not grace. First Samuel uh, 13, it talks about, I'm going to give two, two examples um, of the first two kings in the Bible. You know, uh, God's people are like, give us a king, give us a king. And God's like, I'm your king. You don't need a king. Be free. You know, lean into me. I'm going to tell you what to do. No, we want a person. We want a person to rule us and tell us what to do. It's like, all right, all right, all right. So they gave him Saul. And here Saul um, was chosen by God, and, and Saul sinned. He made a, a sacrifice he wasn't supposed to sacrifice. Samuel was supposed to come. He was supposed to wait for Samuel. He didn't wait. If you want to read it, read it. He didn't wait, and he went ahead and made the sacrifice, right? And then Samuel, the prophet, comes and says, Saul, what did you do? And he started justifying himself. Justifying himself. It's not a big deal. I had to do it. The people made me do it. He started justifying, justifying. And there was no room for repentance or grace, or for God to bring healing to his heart. Then we have King David. And King David, in um, it's second King, uh, second Samuel 12, here's David, and God says, David is a, a man after my own heart, right? And he sinned, and he saw Bathsheba, right? He went and got another man's wife, only took another man's wife, killed the husband, I mean, the story just gets worse and worse and worse. Now, in my opinion, this sin is way worse than Saul. I mean, Saul made a sacrifice to the Lord. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm justifying. And here's David. I mean, an adulterer, a murderer. I mean, he made a mess. <laughs> but David repented. Sin doesn't scare God. <laughs> Sin is sin to God. Actually, Jesus already took care of the sin, right? He said, I not only took care of your sin, Tim, I took care of the sin of the world. Sin doesn't scare me. The only thing that's scary is when we don't admit to it, when we justify it, when we cover it, or we say sin is not sin. And so here's David 
totally restored before the Lord. Restored before the Lord because it's not a sin issue, it's a heart issue. It's not a sin issue, it's a heart issue. Sin doesn't scare God. Sin is not a problem. It's when our heart is closed to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And when we read in John, it's not us pointing out each other's sin. Be convicted, be convicted, be convicted. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. That doesn't change us. It's the word of God, the living word of God, reading the word, fellowshipping together where God can uncover things as there's grace and as the Holy Spirit leads you. Praise God, it doesn't uncover everything at once. It's so very overwhelming, right? He's so good. If we convict each other, oh, well, let me just give you a list of everything I see, right? And you could do the same for me, and that would be very overwhelming. But God's so good and gracious, and he uncovers a little at a time to get you healing and healthy. Okay, I want to talk about three scenarios right now. Um, oh, let me read the scripture real quick. David had true repentance, and he was honest about sin. Uh, Nathan came to him and, and he gave him like this little parable about an injustice about somebody's lamb and this guy took somebody's lamb and he had no, he only had one lamb and this other guy who took the lamb had so many lambs and David's like, I'm spitting mad. How could they do that? And, and um, Nathan's like, yeah, that's you. <laughs> you have lots of wives. You can have any woman you want and you want a taken woman, you know, somebody that's married. Anyways, the story's funny, but, but his heart turned towards the Lord and said, you're right. I sinned and you're right. And God was able to come and, and totally bring reconciliation and healing and restore his dignity. You know, God wants to restore our dignity because the enemy loves to shame us. He loves to humiliate us. He loves just to make us feel like nothing. And God wants to come in in true repentance and restore our dignity in situations. I love that about the Lord and restore our character and, and make it better than before. Psalms 51.6 this is in the New Living Translation. It says, but you desire honesty from the heart so you can teach me to be wise in my inmost being. It's what Pastor Ben was talking about. It's heart transformation. It's not head knowledge. But God has to go deep into our heart and be honest with us so he can teach, teach us wisdom from our heart that just automatically produces good works and good character and righteousness and holiness. Saul, King Saul, was fearful of punishment. But King David knew God's heart, and he ran to the safe place of God Almighty and knew restoration was there. So I'm going to talk about three different maybe churches or believers or mindsets. Let's say mindsets, three different mindsets. The first one is the religious church. The religious church is really good about identifying sin. You don't have to worry about that. They will call sin, sin. But there's no love or no desire to heal people because they, they love to label you with sin. They believe that sin is a very big problem and it's fixed by condemnation and shame. The DNA of this church is fear, which breeds an atmosphere of condemnation and hopelessness. It believes that sin is your identity and punishment is the way to holiness. Did anybody grow up in a church like this? <laughs> it's a real fun environment. <laughs> okay, then the second 
mindset or church is the powerless church or the hopelessness church, okay? Your sin and your mess doesn't scare me. So let's just say grace. Okay, that sounds good so far. Doesn't talk about the difficult stuff because honestly, your mess, your sin is bigger than the, re the God of my reality. They love to stay politically correct. Let's just say everything right, everything's nice. Call living in sin grace because they don't know how to set you free. We're all victims of the world. We're all victims of the enemy. But one day we can get set free when Jesus comes back. They have a form of godliness, but they're not activated in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this creates an atmosphere of hopelessness, defeated Christianity. We're broken, you're broken, but God is good. So what happened was, over here we have the religious church. It was so religious, right? Hell, hell, hell. Sin is so big. Sin is so big. And you just feel convicted every day. Every time you go to church, you feel worse than when you came in, right? And so then the grace movement came, and they're like, okay, let's go way over here. And you know what grace is? Sin's not a big deal. Sin's normal. We all sin. Don't worry about it. But what it does is it keeps people in sin. It keeps people in bondage. And we still have no need for a savior. God can't move in either way. God can't move in condemnation because he's not condemnation. He can't move in shame because it's not him. The DNA of God is love. But then we go to the other extreme and we think it's love, but it is still the ways of the enemy because it's bondage. When I was a missionary in Africa, we were working with kids on Mount Elgon and they didn't have shoes. And in their soil, they had, I've talked about this before, but they had these parasites called chiggers. And they would get way up into the flesh and just start eating from the inside out. So a team came in, and they just wanted to put these shoes on the kids. And the pastor's like, no, don't give them shoes. you got to heal their feet first. And he explained what was going on. He was like, if you just put shoes on and cover it, you're not helping them because it, literally their toes would be eaten, their feet would be eaten. But, you know, you put shoes on, and it looks politically correct, and you say, grace, grace, and everything's good, and keep walking, and you're fine. But God is saying, no. No, where is my powerful church that will talk about the hard things because they know I am the answer. That will go deep in and say, we're going to pull this out so you can heal from the inside out. And you can wear your shoes and walk in dignity and destiny and restoration. God is raising up a powerful church. Let's go to the last one. And this is me and you. And this is what God is raising up in the last days. There is going to be the biggest outpouring and the biggest revival we have ever seen. Do not be scared of what the enemy is doing in the world right now. Our God is bigger. He has a plan and he's about to show up on scene. Get excited. We believe your sin and your mess, it doesn't scare me. I too had a big mess. Sometimes I'm a hot mess, but I know the answer. I believe that Jesus already took care of it on the cross. We believe that your sin does not define you, but it's not okay because you were created for so much more. You don't have to live in addiction to sin. You're not a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. God 
changed your character, changed your, your, um, who you are. We believe that truth sets people free truth of the word of God. When I preach truth, when you preach truth, when we live truth, people around us are just set free. There's not a condemnation, but a conviction of our life, our actions, not even so much of our words. We create an atmosphere where the Holy Spirit and the gifts flow freely and set people free. The biggest goal of a powerful church is setting people free from the heart and into true identity and destiny. We talk about tough issues because nothing's impossible for God. Empowers people and creates hope in the most hopeless circumstance. That is God's destiny for you in your life. First for yourself and then for others. The world needs the powerful church to rise up because people are staying in the pit in religion and calling grace the wrong definition of grace. Grace is not stay in your sin and you'll be okay. Grace is there's a power that can come on the inside of you and change every circumstance. You're not a victim. Okay, I want to explain this a little more. There's, the world has this sense of sympathy, a worldly sympathy. And the world says, um, we see where you are. We're so sorry that you got there. And you know what? We feel so sorry for you. We're going to let you stay a victim to whatever happened to you. The injustice. I'm so sorry. And we're all going to take care of you. And you just stay in that pit. And we'll be reminded every day. And you'll be reminded every day, you're a victim. I'm so sorry what happened to you. And it's okay. But Jesus didn't move in sympathy. He moved in compassion. And godly compassion is, I see how you got there. I'm so sorry for the injustices that happened to you. I saw what happened when you were five. I'm sorry what happened to you when you were 11. I see how you got there. But I love you so much. I'm going to raise you out of being a victim. You're not going to be a victim anymore. You're going to be victorious. And I'm going to restore all those things that the enemy has done. And not only am I going to restore you, you're going to go out and pour in power and restore so many others because of what has happened to you. That's the difference between sympathy and compassion. Jesus never allowed people to stay a victim because the cross took care of it. But the world tries to move out in love without Jesus. And it moves in sympathy, a worldly sympathy that keeps people powerless and victims and not able to change. And I see so many times our heart of love wants to jump on that thinking we're loving, but it's not loving keeping somebody in bondage, especially if we know the answer. The answer is Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Jesus moved with compassion. We see this so many times in the Bible. I mean, in John 4, the woman at the well. Let's start with this one, the woman at the well. It was a Samaritan woman, right? Now, back then, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And men didn't associate with women who were not their spouse. But, you know, Jesus was not politically correct. (laughs) Never was. He did what was right. 
in God's eyes, not right in the world's eyes. So we went right up to that woman. And, and he moved with compassion. Because sympathy, well, the religious spirit would have said, oh, you are marked for life. Your sin is so scary. You know what? I can't even associate with you. And if I do, I'm just going to call out your sin. I'm going to call you out for what you've done. Because this lady was, had five husbands, and the one she was living with wasn't even her husband. I mean, she had a sketchy past, which it's like, where are the men? Why is the woman called out? Where are the men in this situation? <laughs> They're just as guilty. But I think God went after the women because they had been so... Um, Yes, so put down that he used all the examples to liberate women. God loves women's liberation. He loves it in God's way. So many times women liberation keeps women down. And that's a whole other message. But, um, okay, so he wasn't politically correct, but he moved in compassion. The religious person says, I can't even associate with you. Have you, have you seen that? I can't even, your sin is so scary to me. Your life is so scary. It might rub off on me. And the hopeless or powerless Christian is like, I know you've been through a lot. And you know what? Keep living with your boyfriend. And if he doesn't work out, find another one. You're going to get it. And just sleep around until you find the right one. And we love you and we're going to accept you. But what does this do? More heart pain, more heart pain, more heart pain. Open the door to the enemy. That's not love. That's not love. But Jesus says, I see you. When he said, I see you, I think he goes deep down into the heart where you feel totally exposed. I, I know your history. I know every detail of your history. And I just want to tell you, I love every part of you. And I have a better way. I have living water. I have living water that will so satisfy you. I have something that will so satisfy you, you won't even want to go back to the other life. One encounter with Jesus. She runs off to her village. Now listen, this lady is not popular. This lady is marked. Nobody wants to be around her. She's running to town. I met the one who knew everything about me. I met the one. I met the one. And she's evangelizing. They all feel the anointing and power on her because she experienced Jesus. It wasn't religion. Something was on her because the whole town follows this lady of sin, right? Follows. They listen to Jesus, and it says the whole town believed her testimony and became saved. God restored her dignity. She became the most popular woman in town, the first evangelist leading others into freedom because she got freedom. That is God's compassion. Didn't keep her in a pit, wasn't scared of her sin, made her feel loved, but set her free. Set her free to go and set others free. That's what we need to move in, that kind of compassion. Sin is never the problem unless we stop calling sin, sin. God wants heart transformation. That's true repentance. True repentance is not just behavior change. It's heart modification. I mean, it's heart transformation. It's in the heart where it's like, I get it now. You know, have you ever been in sin where you just didn't get it? Both hands go up. <laughs> I totally think it's okay. It's no problem. It's not a big deal. 
and then you're reading the word or the Holy Spirit comes in and you feel the conviction and your eyes are open. You're like, I get it. I get it. And I'm sorry. And I want to change how I think about that. That's heart transformation. And then it becomes really easy to change. True repentance leads to reconciliation and restoration. Now I want to say something about restoration. God makes our life better than before. Better than before. That lady's life was better than before. When people encounter God and they deal with the sin or, you know, missing the mark or whatever's going on in their life, when we allow the Holy Spirit to come in, it's so good because he makes it better than before. Isn't just like, I'm okay with you. I want to tell you something. Jesus already took away the sin of the world. He's okay with us. No matter what, he's okay with us. It's us. It's the sin in our lives that opens the door to the enemy. Our repentance is not for God to change. He's already forgiven us. It's for us to change and allow God to come in and now bring healing into our life. It's the healing he wants to bring into our life because sin destroys. Sin destroys. There's sometimes I'm talking to young people and they don't understand, you know, like, why can't I live with my boyfriend? Why can't I do this? And I I know and in their mind and sometimes God's word maybe doesn't make sense to us. But why? But why? I don't know if your kids do that. But why? Hi, Sato. (laughs) But it's because God knows things we don't know. Sex out of marriage hurts. It hurts every time. Even if you end up marrying the person, it's not God's way and it hurts. That is why. Because he's trying to protect us because he loves us. Not because he's a man with a a bunch of rules and he's like, I said so. I thought it would be fun to give you a, you know, a sex drive and then say, wait, wait, wait. See you all squirm. It's not God. Right? It's because he has a reason and it protects and in covenant is so wonderful and out of covenant, it opens the door for the enemy and it causes so much pain. And anybody who's had a sex out of marriage knows that. And the moment is good and the next morning, whoo, shame. The enemy comes in to kill, steal, and destroy. So we have to trust God. It's just a trust thing. He knows more than me. He knows more than me. 2 Corinthians 5.18, it says that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. This is our ministry, to reconcile people back to the Lord. Repentance isn't for punishment. Jesus took our punishment, praise God. Repentance isn't for punishment. We're unpunishable by the Lord. Now, the enemy tries to punish us if we allow him, but he has no right. Repentance, true repentance is for restoration. In 1 John 2, 3, I started with this. I'm going to reread it again. Here's how we know we can be sure we've truly come to know God. If we keep his commands. How do we know that we truly know the Lord? We love the Bible. We love the word of God. We want to obey the word of God. This doesn't mean that we do it perfectly, but it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. It's I want to obey the word of God. And Holy Spirit, when you reveal something to me, I'm going to be humble and trust you. 
and allow you to work in my heart. That's how we know that we truly know God. We want to change. We want to obey the word, right? Okay, I'm going to end with this. Psalms 19. We need the word of God. We have to know the word of God and we have to live by the word of God. It's living and breathing. It's not just some book that goes with Christianity. Every religion has their book. There's not a bunch of religions. There's God and everything else. There's one truth and everything else. There's one way and it's Jesus Christ and everything else. There's only one book. It's the word of God. It's living and breathing. This is what's going to change our life. We have to know the word. We have to live by the word and not change the word. Psalms 19, 7. God's word is perfect in every way. How it revives our souls. His law leads us to truth. His ways change the simple into wise. His teachings make us joyful. The word of God should bring joy to our heart and radiate his light. His precepts are so pure. His commands, how they challenge us to keep close to his heart. This revelation light of his word makes my spirit shine radiant. Every one of the Lord's commands is right, and following them brings cheer. What makes us happy? Following the word of the Lord. True joy comes by listening to God. Nothing he says ever needs to be changed. Man, I wish I had that. <laughs> Have you ever said something and you wish you could take those words back? God never says anything that has to be changed. Everything he says is true. The rarest treasures of life are found in his truth. That's why I prize God's word like other prizes of the finest gold. Nothing brings the soul such sweetness as seeking his living words. For they warn us, his servants, and keep us from following the wicked way. Giving a lifetime guarantee. Say lifetime guarantee. Lifetime Great success to every obedient soul. Lifetime guarantee? If I read my word and I apply the word to my life, that's a good guarantee. Without the revelation light, how could I ever detect the waywardness of my heart? Lord, forgive my hidden flaws whenever you find them. This is giving permission to God. Whenever you find something, I give you permission. You point it out to me and you show me. Lord, forgive me of my hidden flaws whenever you find them. Keep cleansing me, God. Keep me from my secret selfish sins that they may never rule over me. For only then I will be free from all my faults and remain innocent of rebellion. Oh, I'll just finish it. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my thoughts, every moment of my heart always be pure and pleasing, acceptable before your eyes, my only redeemer, my protector God. Now I want to remind you something. When you're born again, your spirit is brand new, righteous, pure. We're talking about God showing stuff in our flesh, in, in our soul, our mind, will, and emotions that we have to renew. We have to renew, and, and it is impossible to change without his word. It's his word. And even if the world wants to take his word away, and we see that it's not working for them very well. Have you seen that? <laughs> Man, I mean, the laws that they're making right now, it's like, Lord, have mercy. 
How much more does the church need to stand up and not be the ostrich with the head in the sand and say, this is so messy, this is so scary, let's just say grace, grace, and rapture come. But let's say we know our word, we know the answer. Holy Spirit, activate the gifts of the Spirit in me that I can have a word of knowledge, a prophetic word, signs and wonders, healing for every situation. Right? That's what kind of healing, that's how God wants to use us. We want to be the powerful church. We want to be a powerful believer. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We need lots of love and wisdom and the word of God. Amen? Let's stand up. God, we thank you for your word. We love the word of God. It revives our soul. It brings us joy. It's light. Jesus, we say you are light and there's no darkness in you. There's no corruption in you. Everything you say is right and pure. And we align ourselves to your word. And and Lord, I just pray this morning, God, where we become maybe victims, where we have justified sin in our lives, set us free. Set us free, God. We say sin is sin and it doesn't scare you. We pray healing in our heart. Renew our mind to truth, God. I thank you, God, that you're, you're raising up such a powerful bride, an army that, that has godliness and power. That is activated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, that we hear your voice and we speak your voice. We're light in darkness and we'll shine brightly for you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for grace, which grace empowers us to walk in holiness and righteousness and in love. Thank you for redemption. God, I thank you personally for restoring my dignity. Oh man, I lost it bad. But you're such a good redeemer. You restored dignity and our honor. Thank you, God. I just pray even this morning, God, you're restoring dignity this morning and honor. Where labels have come upon, where religion has labeled people and shamed people, even from the past. I just break those off you in the name of Jesus. (laughs) That is not who you are. You're righteous, you are holy, you're a child of God, you're his beloved. God wants you to be like John that nestles close to his chest and say, oh, I know you love me, God. We break off shame and condemnation. And I just say, God, you would um, take these people through a journey of, of reconciliation better than before, I declare over you, better than before, honor and dignity. There's hope where there's hopelessness. I thank you, God, that there's no mess too big for you. Nothing is impossible for our God. Sin does not scare you. You already took care of it. It's when we try to justify ourselves. We can never justify ourselves, but God will justify us. Thank you. In Jesus.